greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 39 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement in life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandermeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Before we jump into the interview with Dr. Troy Spurl, we're going to have a great time sitting down today again with our friend Dick Foth with Back Channel with Foth. And this is the time where listeners send in questions and um, we get to send send them to Dick, and then Dick gets to spend some time with us answering those questions and providing his um, his wisdom and insight. So, Dick, it's great to have you back on the podcast today. Thank you, Aaron. I, I don't have any lemurs where I live, but <laughs> it's always good to see somebody's face where there are lemurs. We are, but it's cold here, and so uh, on my island, it's cold, so the lemurs are, I think they're all hiding away. So, Okay. <laughs> but, Dick, it's uh, one of the listeners wrote in a question, um, sent in a question, says, who's your favorite theologian, Christian author, or speaker? What spirit, what spiritual and biblical truths have you learned from them? And how has that affected your life and in ministry? You know, this was a challenging question because there's a whole cluster. I have about five or six that I'm going to list. And these aren't the only ones, but I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. Uh, Helmut, Helmut Thielica. He's a German Lutheran theologian, now gone. He's a professor of dogmatics at University of Tübingen. But when he was a young man, he was in the same group that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was during the Second World War, but he was young. And so the Nazis didn't get him. They were coming for him. He was under house arrest in Stuttgart at the end of the war. But uh, two days before the, the Gestapo got there, I guess, the, the Allies liberated. But I met him when I was 30 years old in a conference in Italy, first time Ruth and I had been overseas, and I got to interview him, I had a little radio program. And um, when, I, when I read his theology, it's German dogmatic, I don't even understand it, but his sermons, <laughs> his, he, you know, he has several books, how, how the World Began and Life Can Begin Again. And so I got to interview him, and at the end of the little interview, I had a radio program at the time, and at the end of the interview, I said, Dr. Tielicke, if there's, if there's one thing that you see as profound about God and man, what would it be? And in this deep German accented voice, he said, man is not valuable because he loves God. Hmm. Man is valuable because God loves him. Wow. And I'm 30 years old and I'm six years into pastoral ministry. And that really framed how I saw some stuff. Then uh, E. Stanley Jones, missionary to India for years, friend of Gandhi. Um, I didn't know him. He died in 1973 in India, but I knew his son-in-law, who was the Methodist Bishop of Washington, D.C., Jim Matthews. Hmm. And uh, in his book, um, The Divine Yes, which was dictated to his daughter on his deathbed, he had had a stroke. Um, it's talking about Jesus being the divine yes. And he says the world longs for two things a leader, a new leader, and a new world order. And we find it both in Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. I love that. The world longs for two things, a wow. new leader, new world order. We find both in Jesus of Nazareth. Gordon Fee, who is an Assemblies of God textual scholar, got his PhD at USC, University of Southern California. I, I call him my weeping theologian. He couldn't talk about the cross <laughs> or about forgiveness. So the idea of the scandal of the cross yeah. That sort of befuddles the Greek and stumbles the Jew. Um, I got that from him. Uh, Dallas Willard, the divine conspiracy, spirit of the disciplines. I had a chance to be with Dallas, uh, just take a walk with him one time years ago. 
and we were talking about things and he in, in his in his uh in his divine conspiracy where he talks about the um the sermon on the mount we start talking about anger he has a great chapter saying anger is the root of pretty much everything else that's bad hmm. jealousy murder divorce the, all the things that separate people and so i i got that from him my friend mark batterson he would probably not want me calling him a theologian, but he is one. He's one of our better working theologians. And he's a writer, so he, he has a way of synopsizing. I don't know if that's a word. Anyway, distilling phrases. He's a phrase maker. We call him Markisms. Yeah. Things like this. Uh, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us when we least deserve it and least expect it. Hmm. Or stop speaking to God about the mountain and start speaking to that mountain about God. Hmm. You know, God, sometimes God shows up and sometimes he shows off. Yeah. <laughs> there are, yeah. It, you know, Mark is a writer who has sold millions of books. Yeah. And most writers, 95% of all sell less than 5,000 copies. Yeah. So I, I, I like Mark. And then C.S. Lewis is a philosopher, theologian. I like his phrase where he says, a friend is a person that when you say, or you know you have a friend when you say, you too, I thought I was the only one hmm. when you're speaking on some subject. And then another writer, theologian would be from C.S. Lewis's day, a woman named Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers has some thoughts on the church, Anglican church back in the day. But there's this wonderful passage that I've quoted many times, to do them justice, the people who crucified the Christ did not do so because he was a bore. Quite the contrary, it was too dynamic to be safe. Hmm. It has been left to later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and to surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. First time I read that, I said, man, I wish I'd said that. Anyway, <laughs> those, are some, those are some of my theologian writer heroes. I'm just impressed that you could say that by heart because those are words that are not even in my vocabulary, let alone be able to um, say them by heart. So... Oh, we appreciate that. We'll definitely have to, um, we'll include those names um, in the show notes. And then um, if people want to look, they can access them there. Dick, another question that was sent in said, um, in a Pat's podcast, it was mentioned that getting to know someone's values um, is a way to get to know them. How do we identify and define values so that we, we know how to find them better in people? You know, I got asked this question just a couple of weeks ago, and I'd never really been asked it before. And because if I say, okay, um, Aaron, give me your top three values. You know, you'd probably say, well, God and family and right. missions or something, right. you know. But, but I think one way to get at values that's a little more oblique is this. If someone, I'm talking to Aaron and I say, if someone were to ask me, what is important to Aaron Santmeyer? What should I tell them? Me, I can tell you. For me, yeah. But I mean, you don't have you don't have to tell me. But I yeah. think that's a way to get at it. Yeah. If someone were to ask me what is important to Aaron Santmeyer, and I'm talking to you, yeah. What yeah. should I tell them, Aaron? So it allows you to sort of frame. So that's one way. The other way is, show me your checkbook or your credit card bill, and your calendar. Hmm. And I'll tell you what your values are. Hmm. People say, well, I have biblical values. Well, 
maybe every Tuesday afternoon we, we touch on it. But show me where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what your values are, at least at this, at this moment in time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think I've heard it said your, your actions show your beliefs 100% of the time or some, your actions demonstrate oh, your beliefs good. 100% yeah. of the time, and um, it definitely falls. The other thing I've heard you share, Dick, is um, talking about um, asking people where they um, come from and what they like to do as a kid and, and that story. Sure. Does that play into somebody trying to understand what people value in their story also? It, if, it, if it doesn't tell us what they value, it at least tells us what shapes them. Hmm. Because, you know, some people say, well, I'm trapped by my history. You know, hmm. I'm stuck. Well, you can be, I suppose. But if you are trapped, if you're a believer and you say I'm trapped, then the cross of Jesus doesn't mean that much, you know. Yeah. But, but we're absolutely shaped by them. So I, th I think we can, by hearing somebody's story, it surfaces their values or why they think the way they think or why they react the way they react. You know, I, I, I tell people, uh, I, I will guarantee you this. If I go see somebody who was brought up through the great depression, so they'd have to be in their nineties now. And I go to their refrigerator. I will guarantee you their freezer is full. Hmm. That's just because they say, I'm, ne I'm never going to stand in a soup line again, you know, hmm. that whatever I have to do. So that sort of thing. Yeah. So, that's good. That's good. Well, Dick, once again, we appreciate your wisdom and insight. We, um, I value, and I know the listeners do, our time with Back Channel with Foth. We're going to go ahead and jump into the interview today with Dr. Troy Spurrow on the growth area of personal health, demonstrating balanced holistic health. Dr. Troy practices functional medicine and is the founder of Synapse Center for Health and Healing in, in Minnesota. We discussed brain-based healing, sabotages to a good night's sleep, the relationship between gut health and brain health, and so much more. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. It's so exciting to be here today with a new friend. Um, as I we got on the Zoom this morning, I said this is probably his uh, first call to Madagascar, at least for today. And so, Dr. Troy Spurl um, his, uh, was recommended um, from Susie Larson. Many of you heard that episode with, uh, with Susie as we had a great conversation, and she said Dr. Troy would be awesome to have on the show. So, Dr. Troy, welcome to the Clarity Podcast. And would you just mind going ahead and just uh, taking a few minutes to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, well, I am in Minnesota, which is far, far from Madagascar. Uh, I'm originally from Canada, though. I came to the United States in uh, the mid-90s and uh, traditionally trained as a microbiologist. I was in the medical field uh, in pre-med and switched over to uh, chiropractic. So I got a degree in chiropractic, a degree in microbiology, and then a functional neurology degree, as well as a degree in, in the kinesiology, and then uh, studied uh, functional medicine right out of the gates in 1995 with the uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, the, the founder of functional medicine. So I was very, very fortunate that my first nutrition uh, professor, if you will, was uh, Dr. Bland himself. So it was very, very much a uh, learning by drinking from a fire hose, but it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I switched 
from the traditional model uh, because uh, I just it didn't quite feel right as far as what what worked for me and uh, I just really loved the approach of functional medicine how they take a look at the whole body and uh, as a, a Christian too it just it just um, it makes me feel better to reinforce what God has made yeah. versus try and think we can do better than God which is mm -hmm. what I was running into with my studies at least with my personal yeah. my personal battle so not, not that's not to take away from anything within the traditional model because there's a lot of great stuff there yeah. and a lot of great people, um, but there was just something different that was needed. So I st ended up staying in the United States, set up a clinic, and I've been practicing there now 22 years. Wow! And um, I don't want your listeners to think I'm just insane, but I do have 10 kids and 11 grandkids, and uh, we are very busy. Over 10,000 clinic. So. <laughs> There's always something. <laughs> oh, my land. So, yeah. hey, you shared about functional medicine. Maybe there's some people in the audience. Um, my wife actually said, man, I would wish I could be in on the interview with him today because I get like 50,000 questions. But yeah. I said, well, I get the opportunity to sit down um, with him. Um, what is functional medicine? Just um, before we jump into some of the other questions. So functional medicine's... Uh, uh, takes a lot of the same that traditional medicine brings. I'll start with like, if we're just looking at lab work in traditional lab work, there are ranges where if you're out of these ranges, high or low, you have an active disease process and they're going to recommend uh, surgery or drugs or something to try and correct that disease process. In functional medicine, they take a look at the same research and they find that healthy optimal individuals may have slightly different ranges. So when you look at blood work, you can start to see uh, patterns within the blood work slowly over time where you don't have an active disease yet, but you can see and measure dysfunction. So the premise is if everything is communicating properly, then you're in good function. You're in good health. Yeah. So if you're communicating and, and we see this all over the place, if you're communicating mentally, chemically, and physically, you're in good shape. So the way I usually say it is women, if, you're not communicating with your husband. I should say it the other way around. Husbands, if you're not communicating well with your wives, then there's a breakdown in communication, which will lead to dysfunction. And yeah. just so the men know, it's always your fault. Always <laughs> your fault. But that breakdown in communication leads to dysfunction. That's, yeah. that's very true from, from us as an individual to God. If we don't have a breakdown in that communication, there's dysfunction there. And that could be a spiritual component to our health um, but at the same time, if our brain's not communicating with our cells of our muscles right, there's going to be a symptom. A breakdown in communication leads to dysfunction. Dysfunction eventually leads to disease. Mm. So what we started doing is measuring the patterns of a breakdown in communication early on. Mm. We started seeing that what people were excusing as normal behaviors like headaches or uh, uh, not sleeping through the night or these little symptoms it's because there's a breakdown in communication somewhere because of something, whether it be an infection, a virus, a parasite, bacterial imbalance, or stress disrupting their ability to get into a deep sleep, which disrupts their ability to make stomach acid, which disrupts their ability to digest properly. Hmm. We can actually start to see these things years before they become heart disease, cancer, diabetes. And so there's so much that we get from the body as far as clues we, we get clues all the time so we can start to measure 
what's working, what's not working. And once you know what normal function is, how God made us, and how we start to detour from that, then you can make some decisions. And, and in functional medicine, we still use medications, but that's a last resort. Yeah. We, we start more with natural processes, anything that we can do mentally, chemically, and physically. And then as a Christian practicing functional medicine, what we do is we identify the problems. And when there's a mental, physical component, we apply scripture, um, mm. uh, scriptural principles to that. And, and that's when you see healing. That's when you see health. That's when you see not just I'm surviving, but I'm thriving. Yeah, that's awesome. You talked about some deviations from th that. Are there some common things that you see um, in, we're all humans, obviously, but are there common patterns that people begin to deviate and um, some that might challenges that might, the audience might say, yeah, when he mentioned that, that, that stuck out to me. Is there some things that you think would be valuable for us to know today? Yeah, the first, the two biggest things that I see in today's world is it, it moves so fast. And uh, I, I'm not sure if this is true in Madagascar, but definitely in the United States here. And I, I, I treat patients from around the world. And so we've seen a lot of the same, same um, patterns, regardless of where they are. And so what happens mostly is there's a stress response that's occurring, hmm. mental, chemical, or physical. And in the past, if you, if you think about uh, when Jesus uh, walked the earth, he used to walk from town to town. And I just am, I'm jealous at the amount of time spent that people got to spend with Jesus walking, yeah. discussing through things. So when there were, if there was a problem, if there was a big something to figure out mentally, you had time, you sat down, you took the time to discuss it, talk through it. Today, we get exposed from even social media where you see some, a blurb come across on social media and that's a challenge that we just kind of dismiss because mm. we already have another one five minutes later and another one and another one and another one. So we're not really getting uh, our mental mindset around all of these stressors that are coming up. So we don't have the time per se. So the biggest challenge we're seeing is stress inducing a state where we're more in what we call fight or flight hmm. versus rest and digest. Hmm. So it's a very important part of the brain that regulates our autonomic nervous system. But the, the way to say it to, to, for the people is if you are in fight or flight, like if a tiger's chasing you, that's fight or flight. Your brain stops everything because you don't want to get eaten by the tiger. So it sends all of the blood flow and nutrients to your muscles so you can run away or fight. Yeah. If the tiger's chasing you, I recommend running, but <laughs> that's up to you. Um, so if a tiger's chasing you, it's a really, really bad time to sit down and eat lunch or take a nap. So your brain stops supporting those parts of your body. Hmm. They literally don't get as much blood flow. They don't get as many nutrients and they don't get nerve stimulus to activate those areas. So long story short, slowly over time, people don't get as good as sleep and they don't digest as well because hmm. they're in fight or flight. We actually measure this at the clinic and I'm always shocked. I used to be shocked at how many people come in, look calm on the outside, and then we measure them and they're actively in fight or flight as they're sitting there. Hmm. And so 
If that's happening slowly over time, you're slowly losing the ability to get deep restorative sleep. Deep sleep is when God heals us each and every night. Hmm. Don't think that or don't remember that. Remember when you were a kid and you fell down at the park and you were so sore and you woke up the next day and you're ready to go back to the park because you felt amazing. Yeah. As we age, we're slowly losing the ability to get into those deep sleep modes. Interesting. And then every night, that's when we heal. That's when God heals us each and every night. That's when our immune system and our brain gets activated. It's called the glymphatic network. And that's when the signal from the brain goes to the body and starts to clean up the mess from the day. Hmm. Now, if you're not getting that signal or that communication done properly, we don't see the immune system doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Then you compile on top of that a slightly downgraded digestive system where you're not getting the nutrients from your food. Because that's, that's one of the ways God helps sustain us is for us to break down all of the key nutrients from the food we're we're ingesting and then use that in our body. But if that part of our system's not working, we're just seeing a slow, steady decline. And almost everything we treat at the clinic and with people when we talk to them about getting their health back, we start by improving their sleep mm-hmm. and their digestive system because they almost all have that as part of why they got sick or have symptoms in the first place. Wow. And so as far as improving sleep, is there some common things? Because I'll be honest with you, uh, my missionary colleagues, some of us travel a good bit and sleep becomes difficult because of travel. But honestly, when we're home, we don't necessarily sleep well. Is there some common things that you could share with us that we might be able to begin to put into place as far as getting that restorative sleep where, where you shared that the brain is, is, is where we're able to go through that healing process? Well, the first thing I'd, uh, I'd recommend is... Um, if you can find some way of tracking it right now, um, we, ha- we have uh, um, watches or Fitbits and things over here, but even rings, uh, they have little rings uh, that they make that track your ability to get into deep sleep. If you have something like that to manage it, you can actually tell what interferes with your sleep and what doesn't. Now, I will say this, a lot of the people who travel who have trouble with sleep, um, Sleep is very important for us to, uh, to be consistent. So that's part of the yeah. problems with travel. Yeah. But yeah. most of the travel also comes from our mindset and we're thinking before going to bed. So I've had to work with uh, patients and have them um, pray about different things before that they do in the morning than they do at nighttime. Because hmm. when you get into sleep, if you're certain people, we, we're, we all have gifts and we all have... Um, uh, areas of strengths like empathy uh, or discernment uh, or revelation. And one of the things that, especially my empathetic people, I commonly have to get them to not be praying for the sex trafficking around the world, not be praying for the more serious stuff before going to bed. Um, they do that in the morning. And the reason is because the subconscious part of the brain will start replaying that while they sleep, it disrupts their sleep. And so, uh, it's very unique when we when we talk about guarding your thoughts yeah not it's also um we've had to tweak that just more for my really empathetic uh christians that are are thinking about stuff or praying about stuff or another way i've said too is just don't watch the news if you're watching the news about you know what's going wrong with the world or how it's broken right before going to bed many some people will be fine with that uh others won't another key component to getting to sleep is if you are 
um, constipated at all, mm -hmm. that will actually impact your sleep. Hmm. So there is a uh, very uh, well-documented conversion of tryptophan. Tryptophan mm -hmm. is made into serotonin, which then gets converted to melatonin. That's B6 dependent. So uh, we need to make sure our B vitamins stay nice and healthy, uh, nice and elevated. But if you have intestinal inflammation, or if you have an underlying infection, or you have stress, it will convert that tryptophan to a neurotoxic chemical called quinolinic acid. Hmm. And it'll rob you of the serotonin and melatonin, the deep sleep hormone. So just by fixing your GI tract and making sure there's not a lot of inflammation there, and the number one inflammatory food worldwide is still sugar. Wow. And so we see that people who eat inflammatory food before going to bedtime are slowly robbing themselves of that serotonin melatonin pathway in the deep sleep. It'll slowly happen over time. So if you have a ring or something that measures your sleep, go ahead and, and monitor, play with it, and notice that when you eat something inflammatory right before going to bed, how, how that impacts your sleep. Also know if you eat something during the day that's inflammatory, how that can impact you going to sleep. Hmm. So not a lot of people, uh, I've, I've had and heard patients say that uh, if I eat a bowl of ice cream before going to bed, I have bad dreams. Well, that's, yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. So we see stuff like that um, quite frequently. So the, big, the best thing you can do is get the bowels moving and you'll yeah. be surprised that once, once uh, if there's any type of constipation there and it's been alleviated, how that starts to slowly impact your sleep. One of the best things you can do to reset your sleep if the bowels are moving is fasting. Hmm. And so uh, doing a two to three day fast can start to clean things out, detoxify stuff so the brain can actually get into that deep sleep mode. And so those are some of the big things that you can do right out of the gates to, to help with deep sleep. Manage the stress if there's hidden underlying infections, which uh, we can talk a little bit about how those tend to happen. But the, the problem is, if you, if you get into a fight or flight state for too long, you, your vagus nerve stops stimulating the stomach, so you stop making as much stomach acid. When you get to that point, you are now more predisposed to getting other infections, whether it be in the sinus or in the lungs or GI. Your stomach acid helps drastically um, balance the pH of your entire body and mm. decreases your likelihood of infections. So <clears throat> you'll see so certain people, certain infections will spread and there'll be some people who just don't get sick or don't get sick as, as deeply. And a lot of it stems from their ability to make stomach acid. Wow. Because stomach acid breaks down proteins, including globulins and albumin. And globulins can become immunoglobulins, which is our immune system's defense mechanisms. So if we are decreasing our ability to break down protein, which happens as we age, yeah. so people, that's why people don't, you know, the elderly won't go for a piece of steak at eight o'clock at night yeah. um, because they just, it sits there like a brick. Well, yeah. that's a sign you don't have enough stomach acid because of the, how long you've been in the fight or flight versus rest and digest. Cause that does accumulate over, over the years. So wow. So what, that's a big part of it. A guy like me that likes to eat something before he goes to bed, what, what are some things that we can eat before, I know not right before I go to bed, or are there certain foods that we could eat that would help us, that would promote the, the melatonin and serotonin, as you mentioned? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically, um, 
there are 20, 25% of the population that should eat before going to the bed. And those are our hypoglycemics. Okay. So hypoglycemics, anyone whose blood sugar drops a little too low, then uh, it's a good thing to eat before going to bed. But you don't want to have something that's going to spike your blood sugar and then crash it. Because one of the things that wakes us up in the middle of the night is if our blood sugar gets too low. Hmm. And so um, the whole fruit, like an apple or anything that's where the sugar is still bound by the fiber, so mm-hmm. a whole fruit uh, is actually okay for most people, but uh, um, a piece of uh, chicken or protein is even better for most, especially if there's any type of stress response for the uh, adrenal glands. So, so we've had people uh, just have a little uh, recipe where they have like an apple or chicken strips, something like that, uh, before going to bed. And uh, that works pretty well. Um, there are occasionally you can get away with some, uh, if you have like a shake or something like that, uh, and you add fiber to it, mm-hmm. um, fiber will slow down the delivery of the sugar. And so you can just do a little fiber drink before going to bed. And that helps with some people, uh, as well. Anything that balances your blood sugar will actually help you sleep deeper. And then anything that's anti-inflammatory will actually help you sleep deeper. So um, I will take uh, uh, fish oil or uh, turmeric and things that, and add it to whatever I'm eating at nighttime. But for me, I found that uh, if I just eat, if I don't eat past a certain time period, that's what works best for me. I have many patients, they they have to eat every two to three hours, but I try and uh, cut off my time about three hours. If I don't eat three hours before going to bed, it's a game changer for how I sleep. Wow. You mentioned sugar is one of the, is the highest inflammation, something that we eat that causes inflammation. Is there some other hidden things that maybe we wouldn't think of that are, that cause inflammation that, um, that other than sugar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, sugar worldwide is still very, uh, accessible. And we, in here in the United States, we had in 19, early 1900s, the average American consumed five pounds of sugar a year. Hmm. And you fast forward a hundred years of 105 years. And the study that came out showed that the average American was consuming 160 pounds of sugar a year. So that's a big difference. So that has been one of the biggest changes in the last hundred years is how much sugar, especially Americans are consuming. And I don't eat a ton of sugar. So someone's having my share. That's the only thing I want to say. (laughs) Someone, someone out there eating 300 pounds of sugar a year. <laughs> wow. There's a few of them out there. That is so, amazing. So that is uh, worldwide and, and a problem. And it, it's really starting here in the United States and Canada, where I'm from. And it's kind of spreading slowly throughout the world as it becomes more available. Because we've got it um, in schools. We've got sugar everywhere. It's just accessible. But beyond that, the biggest problem then is anything that's been refined and and so, uh, or anything, I have a saying, if God made it, it's good. If man made it, beware. Hmm. And so anything that's not from God is not going to have a good function in our body. So that means uh, it's mostly the chemicals. So they'll, they'll make uh, a dessert and have a, sh- it'll have a shelf life of 50 years, like a yeah. Twinkie. Yeah. That's not going to nurture our cells much at all. <laughs> there's a big difference between a Twinkie and what it does to our body and manna, right? Yeah. So there's, there's. We do, we're, it's not unless it's God ordained and, and he put a blessing on that that's going to actually get into our cells, 
man-made chemicals, our body doesn't know what to do with them. So yeah. our immune system is made to defend against infection and to clean up the junk, the mess mm. within the cells. If a man-made chemical gets into our body and our body doesn't know what it is, our immune system is going to treat it like a bacteria or a virus. Hmm. It's going to grab it and try and pull it and get it out of the body because there's no use for it. Now, the problem is when those chemicals start to mimic things that our body actually does have. Mm -hmm. A perfect example is trans fats. Trans literally means bent. So mm -hmm. if you picture our cell walls, it's like the walls of a room where you've got two by fours and they're nice and straight. Those are good, healthy fats that can make a wall. But if you put in crooked two by fours, trans fats, all of a sudden, and your body uses that for raw ingredients because there's no other two by fours, all of a sudden now you have a dilapidated crooked wall that's not as sturdy and steady and it'll break down much, much faster. So people mm -hmm. who are eating trans fats are going to eventually make cells that are not as strong. And not mm. a lot of people know that your body changes all the time. Red blood cells every 143 days, most of your cells are turned over every seven years. Mm. So they're made of whatever we've been eating in the yeah. previous seven years. So if it's, not, if it's not from God, meaning natural, and we haven't tainted it, then it's going to have a consequence because it's not as good as what God made it. Yeah. And that's the problem. We can't go anywhere in the world right now because, because it's been contaminated. They yeah. did a study and found that the only uncontaminated, uncontaminated sample on the planet, as we currently are staying right now, was found in the North Pole when they burrowed down over 100 years into the ice. That was the first sample of uncontaminated soil, water, wow. air, anything that they found. So industry and progression that way has started to uh, create a bit of a change. And right now in the United States, we're up to over 84,000 chemicals that we've created that we haven't been able to assess its full consequence on our human frame. Now we are the filters for that. Right. So we are filtering it, but it's clogging up the system, so to speak. Yeah, that's it. You know, we do have people serving around the world, and some of them uh, struggle with chronic illness. And um, and uh, and it honestly, living overseas, there's many, many challenges. And then when you you're battling a chronic illness, um, it makes it even more difficult. And and you share that that hope has power. Is there any maybe words of encouragement you could give to somebody today that is struggling with a chronic illness? They're trying to share the love of Jesus Christ around the world, but the, the chronic illness they're struggling with just um, at times can be super challenging. Yeah, that is, that is such a tough scenario, but uh, I have such a heart for that too, because for whatever reason, early on in my career, God put it on my heart that there is an answer to every single problem. And I believe that with every, every ounce of my soul that there, there is not a problem God can't solve. Hmm. And so uh, whatever the problem is, whatever the challenge is, you have to enter into it knowing that there is an answer and God will provide that for you uh, in his time. And so uh, it's important for us when we're in that state to be looking for the answer. Because many times if you're focused on inward and on your symptoms, you miss what God places right in front of you all the hmm. time. So easier said than done, I know. But uh, I also, I, I went through um, a journey, health journey as well. And so I, I, I've been 
blessed to be the patient and the doctor in this conversation. Hmm. And so I know what it's like uh, to not have hope. And I also have seen over 20 plus years of when we're, when we sit down with a patient and it's a tough problem, it's something we found or figured out, or we've seen before patients will walk out of the room. And as we're walking out, I've heard time and time again, is it, is it possible that I feel better just from you telling me that we might have a chance here? Yeah. I'm like, yes, it is (laughs) because that's the healing power of hope. Now, I'm not one to spread false hope, but at the same time, when you can have hope, when you know there's an answer, then there's healing within that. Yeah. Our brain, basically, the, a lot of times, when, when we look at, again, guarding your thoughts, uh, we've measured when we have negative thoughts and a lack of hope, there's literally an inhibitory signal that goes down from my favorite area of the brain. It's called the basal ganglia. Mm. It sets the tone for muscles and emotions and it'll shut down your function. Now, it it sets the idle speed for anxiety and depression as well. That's why people with chronic conditions will eventually develop depression Hmm. or can eventually develop depression. It's that same area of the brain, but that can be offset as well. We measure that the, the function of the muscles start to get turned down. There's a signal that shuts them off, but there's also a signal that's saying, go, 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 when they have to get up and go do something. So basically it's kind of like driving a car with one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. Hmm. So a lot of the missionaries around the world that are struggling with chronic disease, but yet know the truth of scripture and they're, there's this battle going on. And it's like, they're, they're trying to drive their vehicle yeah. with a foot on the brake and a foot on the gas. And so yeah. hope helps take the foot off the brake to allow the healing to occur when you restore proper communication there. And when that happens, it can be different for everyone. By starting on some of the foundational principles of improving your your sleep, improving your digestive system, improving your mindset, those are the three things that we focus on with everyone to allow the opportunity for healing to occur. Hmm. And if we don't have that, then it does require more of a supernatural uh, God healing, which happens as well, and that will that will um, uh, occur on that's up to, that's up to God basically because yeah. I know everyone would choose that path <laughs> they they could, but I tell you what the reason why I've seen that not happen is because of the miracles that occur afterward. So God hmm. has a reason for you. God has a purpose for you, and you mentioned Susie uh, before interviewing yeah. her. She's one of my favorite people on this planet because. She, she was told um, that uh, God said to her, I could heal you tomorrow, but you think like a sick person, you'd just be sick again within a week. Yeah. And that was something she had to overcome. And then the process of overcoming it led to who she is and led to her impacting hundreds of thousands of people. I can't yeah. tell you all the people that come up and have uh, just been so thankful for her suffering for yeah. what she had to go through because it's helped them in theirs. And that's how God works. The, the master weaver is just, it's amazing when you step back and even get just a, an ounce of a glimpse of what is happening, just know that there's a reason and that there's a, there's an answer yeah. and that you will be serving other people eventually as you come through it. So the worst thing we can do is, in this journey where there's all these ups and downs, these peaks and there's valleys is stop where we're in the darkness of the valley because 
that's when that when you need to keep going and when you get to the next peak when you can see the light it's easier to be uh excited about that but it's no different we're still on that journey and it's just when we get into that darkness of the valley and you're like here i am again yeah um, but what we see time and time again is as you keep moving as you keep working through all this you're actually making gains it's like going up a mountain Hmm. where there's peaks and valleys in that mountain and you are accelerating, you're getting closer and closer to the light or closer and closer to the healing, closer and closer to God. But there's a lot of darkness in there. And for any of the, the people that, that have ever climbed a, a mountain or volcano, you, you, uh, I did, was able to do that years ago. And I was shocked at how often I got, I was hot because of the sun. And then literally 20 minutes later, because we're in, a yeah. valley and it was dark it was just freezing and i had to yeah. cover up to get not get frostbite and so that is so similar to our journey when it comes to as a, a christian walk in particular but when it comes to our health being compromised just hmm. very very similar hmm. dr troy one one last question um you talked um about being a, a functional medicine doctor and then the spiritual component um how does we, and you talked about our digestion, you talked about our, um, our, our sleep, and then you talked about our thought life. As Christians, what is there, does that look different for us, or is there a spiritual component to that, and how would that play into those three things? Um, it does look different for us because we have been given so much more because when we, when we get balanced mentally, chemically, and physically, everyone can feel healthy. But what a lot of people don't um, realize is how what covers and controls all of that is the spiritual component. So permanent change we've seen when people, when we get them physically, mentally, and chemically uh, communicating better, then health improves. When you apply scripture, and there's a very, very big word there, apply scripture, then we see permanent change. For example, we will have, I had, uh, I'm going to give an example of a, a very strong Christian patient of mine, suffered with ulcerative colitis for over 15, 20 years, and did everything right as far as diet, did everything right uh, as far as getting back on track, and, and she worked really hard on her mindset. And she came in, and then we got to the point where I could see a lot of things were, she was a, a rule follower doing really well. But she got to the point and I said, this is mental. We've got to work on your mindset. And she fought me tooth and nail. And the, um, she said, no, I, that's where my strength is. And it was her strength. <laughs> Completely it was her strength. But she realized, she had an aha and realized that she hated her body. She hated that her body was different than everyone else's and that she had to do all this work for mm. it to not be ulcerative colitis. And, and something amazing happened when she had a change in mindset, when she had a switch from, I hate my body to, I'm going to love my body, take care of it. I'm glad God made me this way. All of a sudden we started seeing the healing that we expected it, it, from the beginning. Hmm. And she went from not needing, um, she went from needing a, uh, work and help weekly to every six months, just checking in and now has been symptom free for years um, because of that last little missing part. So what I will say is that it can sneak in there, even though something is a strength, like our mindset, it can still sneak in there. And when we apply the scriptural principles, there's a, a couple of big ones, like surrendering. 
that's one of the biggest ones, uh, especially for women, because most of our inability to surrender comes from a good place. Hmm. Women by nature are more nurturing than guys and nurturing a baby is great. You're protecting that baby. You're controlling the environment. But if mom does not learn to surrender uh, the environment, then that baby that becomes controlling and overbearing, that baby grows up and becomes a young adult. And if mom has not learned to surrender, then they're trying to control the environment of that young adult. And the, and, uh, the reality is that's just not going to serve the young adult or mom. And so surrendering it is needed because of uh, generally trying to control things too much, but control in excess for good loving Christians comes from excess nurturing. It actually comes from a good place. So you don't have to change who you are. You just got to reel in your strength a little bit and, and learn to give it to God, learn to surrender. So surrendering, gratitude, forgiveness are some of the things that we see when we actually start to apply those those principles, we start to see healing occur as well. And you will be shocked how often that gets in the way of good communication and therefore good healing. So applying that as a Christian, we've, we've been taught that, but to just sit there and read it and understand it is just the first step. You have to apply it in your life. So take a step back and say, where am I not guarding my thoughts? Where am I not surrendering? What am I trying to control? Um, where do I need to forgive? And a lot of times too, it's forgiveness of self. Hmm. People will get into self-condemnation. Like, like I'm, I can just imagine that go and do a mission work. And then all of a sudden your health starts to fail and you don't feel like you're living up to the, what God wants you to do. So you're beating yourself up. Self-condemnation is not something God wants you to do because we see it stop at the healing process. God yeah. wants us to heal. Yeah. So whenever we see these things start to occur, we know that that has to be stopped and altered. And it's just like when we talk about repentance, it's literally changing one's mind's direction, just opposite um, uh, direction. It's the same thing with healing. Many times we identify that we've got a self-condemnation or a self-limiting belief that is interfering with our ability to heal. And when that gets corrected, healing occurs. Wow. That is amazing. Dr. Troy, will you pray for us today um, as you shared that these the things that you shared with us today, the wisdom, the insight, and your experience that will not just be things that we heard, but things that we apply to our lives each and every day. So it goes beyond just head knowledge, but application. Um, so we can use the wisdom you shared so that we our bodies can heal and we can be whole yeah, in Jesus' name. Absolutely. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this time with Aaron. Just thank you for his uh, ministry and what he's doing worldwide. Uh, we ask that the, the words that uh, were spoken today just penetrate through people's uh, minds and bodies so that you bring revelation to them so that healing can start, that they allow you in. We ask that you, each and every one listening know that uh, you made them with the intention of how they're going to represent you on this world. As imperfect as that walk is and as imperfect as that looks, that's how we operate. And we know if it's from you, it's good. And, and we want to focus on that. We ask for discernment for, for their health so that they can start to identify where the breakdown in communication is, whether it be from cell to cell, brain to body, individual to individual or individual to God. We ask that you bring awareness so that a healing can occur. We ask that you continue to deliver hope to all of these people that are doing 
just tremendous work in your name. We ask that you lift them up and that they, they experience fully the, the Holy Spirit and the healing power that you can have within them. We, we ask them to just know how much they are loved and how much you want them healed. And we, we thank God for the idea of each and every one of them, that they were created to serve you in such this way. We are so thankful and full of gratitude for this time together. We ask that you just pour over all the people listening and um, continue to work in your name. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.